This is the Progression Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Anthemson. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Antonson. Today's guest on the show is Justin Bruns. Justin is a foiler out of Jupiter, Florida. First a kiter, uh, very high level at both. And I had him on the show today because I have been following him on Instagram. And I love that he is super into SpaceX and rocketry. And I think there are so many parallels in what is happening right now in the space programs, private space programs, and what is happening in foiling and innovation in these big technological leaps forward. And I thought it'd be a fun conversation to have. You can follow Justin on Instagram if you would like to at Justin underscore Bruns, B-R-U-N-S, for foiling, kiting, and cool SpaceX rocketry content. Um, I'd suggest doing it. A couple notes before the show. I've been getting a lot of DMs um, over my posts lately about chopping down the Kajira and thought I'd give a couple thoughts on this now. I did an Instagram live uh, the other day, which is on my Instagram, the.progression.project. If you don't follow, give me a follow. Um, showing my setup. And what I'm riding right now is a 4.6 uh, board I shaped. I call it the Element 115. Very thin, very pulled in, not a lot of touch points on it skips really well. Its limitation is a little bit in banging just because of surface area. It's a smaller surface area than the JS. So I tend to ride my shape, the Element 115, in more pump carve conditions. And the JS really lends itself to like game changer lift, banging foam, and and needing a landing pad for those turns. Uh, And in chopping the Kajira, what I have found is that number one, it's safer. I feel like I can send it much harder on the Kajira now without the tips. And maybe it's maybe psychologically, maybe it's not that much less dangerous, but it really feels like I am not limited in what I am doing. And so it turns much harder. I find that it doesn't, with the tips, I feel like they track and it's a good thing for stability. It definitely does not feel as stable as it did before, but I like that. You know, it's more of that dihedral. It's not a dihedral foil, but it feels more dihedral in that it rolls over much quicker. I can go from very deep frontside carve to backside off the lip without that lag and and waiting for the foil to come and and roll with you. Uh, Even on the 1210, I chopped that yesterday, and I feel like that foil is now much looser and much more responsive and less stuck in, in bank angle. You know, that high aspect super bank angle and then you have to wait for it to recoil almost like there's a gyroscope effect where once it's in the turn you doesn't want to come out even when you unweight it still wants to turn 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 and then slowly rolls over it's rolling over much faster and that's a feeling that i search for in a foil the question is did i lose efficiency i don't know um thus far i haven't really felt a difference the setup I rode on the 1210 yesterday, I used the Brian Fitch 13 tail, which is a small tail for that foil setup. And I felt like when I was pumping, I was pushing the tail through the water a little bit. So it's possible that um, I haven't lost any efficiency. Um, I suspect there's something. I mean, you probably give up a little bit, but in my mind, it makes sense because one, the danger factor, and two, it rolls over better. So 
I'd have to lose a lot of efficiency for me to be worried about um, about that when there's so much upside from what I'm feeling. So loving that. The on that foil in a lot of my work in the last couple in training in the last couple months has been in really hitting foam and it's much more difficult on the Kajira setup on the Takuma setup than it is on a lift or on a signature. And what I think it is, is that it has to do with the position of the mast. The Kajira rides back. I ride it about four, maybe five inches farther back. I can't even, so on my board, I had to drill new holes two inches from the lift front, um, bolts on the on the mast base plate to be able to even put that close to where i like to ride it in the js the js boxes are farther forward and i'm slammed all the way forward on that the kajira i ride a few inches farther a few inches back from farthest forward position in my in my custom board so it's probably a solid four inches difference and i think the difference in hitting foam is about if you think about riding a single fin surfboard and when you slide the fin back, if you were to slide a fin back four inches, how much more locked in that's feeling? I just think you're not getting that same pivot. I think the wing would really hit well if you could handle the lift, which I tried yesterday in the morning on the 980. I tried sliding it forward and I just couldn't handle the lift. It got really squirrely on me. So my next, my next test is going to be, I'm going to actually tail shim the other way to see if I can get out some of that extra lift so I can move the foil forward another inch and maybe that will loosen it up in the foam a little bit. But that was just an interesting um, insight that I had here going back and forth between lift, signature, and now Kujira. Uh, and I don't know if I want to sacrifice, maybe I just ride different setups on different days when I want to do different things. You know, if I'm going to carve and I want efficiency, I'll be on the Kujira. If I want a really short board, bang foam, I'm going to be on most likely game changer. So that's where I'm at with that. And I know a lot of guys were asking, so um, hope that helps a little bit. Foil camp. Brian and I have a foil initiative that we've started. We're running a camp on the 17th to the 19th in Jacksonville, Florida. If you are interested, shoot uh, Brian Finch at Foil the World or myself um, a DM or an email. Eric at progressionproject.com is my email address. And Brian actually got invited to go up to New York. He'll be in the New York, Long Island area, September 3rd to 7th, running a, a camp up there. So if you want to get in on that camp, um, hit up Brian at Foil the World and let him know that you're in the area and that you'd like to be involved in that camp, uh, which will be sick. I love that area up there. I spend a lot of time up there and the setups are great and I know who he's doing it with. They've got the spots all dialed. So that's going to be really cool. And it also opens up another avenue where if you want to put together a group of guys and have Brian or myself come coach somewhere, um, we'd be happy to do that. Brian loves traveling and that would be sick. Um, so hit us up. And let's dive into the show. Show today, Justin Bruns. We get all off topic many times, but it was a super fun conversation and I appreciate him coming on the show. Give him a follow at Justin underscore Bruns on Insta and hope you all are doing well. Justin, thanks for coming on the podcast. How you doing? Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is cool. I've been following you on Instagram for a little while and you have a confluence of foiling and then really cool tech stuff focused on rocketry. 
So I thought it'd be cool to do a show. So. Pretty, yeah. Thanks. Uh, you know, I just like being like, par- or participating in like the bleeding edge of, of, of technology and things like that. It's, it's originally stems from my business, which is photography, videography, uh, graphic design, web design, uh, social media. We do, uh, things as, as fun as like creating storyboards with unreal engine, just all kinds of, uh, you know, integrating technology and bringing people and businesses, uh, you know, into the 21st century. And you're located in South Florida. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Right on. Is it Jupiter where you are? Yeah. Jupiter, Florida. Okay. Off the planet. (laughs) I've talked to John Modica some and Gary Mink's a good friend. So I've been down Mm there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I like to say that, um, you know, it's really a hidden gem for, for kiting and surfing. Uh, it's, it's a pretty special place. Um, you know, even, even geographically speaking, it's, uh, it has a really unique blue water, uh, because of its, you know, location in, in South Florida, but it's North enough to have exposure to, uh, the open Atlantic and, and, and swells that we get from, from the Atlantic ocean, uh, any further South and you're kind of blocked out from the Bahamas and, and some of the islands there, uh, and any further North, you kind of just lose that blue Caribbean water. So it's, uh, it's kind of right in the right spot. Yeah. I feel so, I live in North Florida and it just feels so different down there. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going to the Caribbean. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, let's start with your journey in foiling, kiting, and then we can get into all the other fun stuff I want to jam with you on. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I've been kiting for a really long time. Uh, maybe like 15 years, um, like half my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up in Jupiter, Florida. So, you know, when I was super young before, you know, too young to even grab on it to a trainer kite, I was like skimming and surfing in, in Jupiter. And then, uh, one day I saw people kiting and I was like, dad, I want to do that. Like, what is that? So I looked it up like YouTube, like before, like when YouTube was like super new, um, and, you know, just kind of figured out what it was and just taught myself. I spent a year with a trainer kite and a skimboard, just screaming up and down the beach. Um, and, you know, I have this, I wish I could find it. I have this really old video of, that my friend made of me, like just going up and down the beach on the skimboard with a trainer kite uh, in a hurricane. <laughs> it was just like the craziest <laughs> thing. And I just, I eat it so hard in this video. And he like, played it back and slowed it. It would be like such a good viral video now that I think of it. If I found that, like me just like laying out, just getting dragged. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so that was like my like formative years in kiting. And then obviously rode twin tip for a long time. Um, And now I'm like dedicated strapless kite surfing. Uh, Jupiter is amazing for that. Um, we get really nice South winds, which is side shore here. Um, you know, consistent chest to head high swell, which is playful and fun with some powerful shore break. And, uh, yeah, we just run downwinders all weekend. It's, it's epic. Where do you go? Mainly kite beach there? Uh, no, actually we, um, we do like, like I said, downwinders. So, uh, we start just past the pier okay. in, in Juneau. And we normally go to like the inlet or beyond. Sometimes we do extra long ones from like, you know, uh, from Kite Beach to Hope Sound. 
that's something like uh like 15 miles i think um and yeah just kind of uh we don't really stay in one place because that's what's also really cool about jupiter is there's like such a variety of breaks in such a short span of beach you know you have an inlet you have like this outside sandbar that's formed by the inlet like as it's kind of like a river delta sandbar um and then you have some other little beach breaks along the way and then you have a pier uh there's and and we like to hit all those spots on our downwinder and it's it's fun epic rumor is that that jupiter inlet is a an insane foil spot yeah uh dasher you know dasher oh yeah yeah have you seen some of his videos oh yeah yeah, yeah. he comes back frothing all the time yeah. Eric, That's you cool. gotta get down there yeah yeah if you hit it just right it's uh it can be pretty insane. Um, we like to call it um, uh, Jupiter cloud break. I have this really cool drone shot of like pulled out as high as you can go with the drone, just seeing the whole thing. And it's just like these like set these lefts just peeling off of the sandbar, like for hundreds of yards. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Unreal. Uh, you know, the kiting parallel is an interesting one to foiling because that's another sport where, you could see that the sport was going to be a success and it started off a lot more dangerous than it became. And you've had 15, 20 years of evolution in the sport. Now, how does that make you look at foiling? Does that change your lens of what you see in foiling right now? Like what stage we're in, where we're headed? Yeah, that's, that's a cool way to put it. Um, man, I mean, I can't it's, imagine what it's going to look like. Yeah. I mean, I see it becoming, you know, just like kiting, you know, when I first started out, it was very not safe. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, like I, I remember riding a slingshot fuel, like a 12 meter fuel, you know, the bar throw does literally nothing. And, um, and you're just along for the ride, you know, you're just, you're just throwing railies and it's like being pulled behind a, a, a freight train. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, using that as an, you know, and then now how far we've come with kiting and using that as an analogy for foiling, I see that is where the greatest progress will be made um, in, in the foiling evolution is, is safety and accessibility to, to more people. Um, because it's such an amazing sport. It allows for so much, it allows, you know, it allows for people to see you know, the ocean differently. Um, I'm, a, I'm able to surf here in Florida, like four, four days a week minimum. Um, because I can go out there and do like, you know, uh, wind swell downwinders, you know, prone, um, prone surf that things you could never even imagine. And they will lay in turns and do the whole thing. Any foil surfer now knows, but you know, a lot of the, traditional surfers around here are just uh, grumpy and, and it's easy to be, you know, a surf snob because we do get amazing conditions, but it's few and far between. And um, foiling really fills, fills that massive gap that we have. So I think it could, you know, make a lot more places, a lot more accessible to people and surfing in general. Um, and that is all good because in the end it, it, drives people's awareness of the, the importance of the ocean connection to nature. And the more that we can get people in tune with that the better. Yeah. sounds like you do a lot of work on that side too, don't you? 
uh, what's that on conservation? Oh yeah. Yep. Um, you know, I just, you, you, being a, you know, photographer, videographer, just, and being surrounded by the natural world is, uh, inherently you're drawn to, uh, you know, beautiful landscapes and things like that. And, and really what inspired me when I was younger around the same time that I was learning to kite was, um, you know, the series planet earth when that came out, that was like hugely formative for, for my, uh, video and photo career. Um, kind of always going back to that, you know, documentary approach, um, you know, always understanding like their shots and, and, you know, the aerials that they were able to capture and trying to incorporate that same style into, into what we do here now with wavelength, which is, uh, the photo video production company that I run. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all about conservation. I think there's, I mean, in the end, there's really nothing more important than that. Like all, nothing else matters because if we don't conserve the earth, then nothing else can exist. Literally. Yeah. My my son's on a YouTube deep dive right now into ocean sustainability. It's really cool that he's kind of taking this on by himself, but he's coming in and hitting me with just mind blowing facts, Hmm. you know, twice a day right now he's 12. And it's cool that his generation is seeing this. And hopefully that means that there's some hope, but we've done a lot of damage. And yeah, Yeah, I was just, um, I was just listening to a, another podcast the other day. Um, the, let's see if I can find it. Um, I forget the name of the organization. Kahi um, does a lot of work there too. If you guys don't follow him, Instakahi on, on Instagram. Oh yeah, I do follow him. Yep. Well, there, the U S government just released their, or not even, it's not the U S government. It's a, it's a, it's a collaboration of, um, countries and research facilities around the world that have just released their uh, this massive document that outlines the uh, carbon emissions and and climate change um, you know uh, forecast for for um, just you know going into the next twenty to thirty years and let's see if I can find the name of that document it's actually really important to see. I think the hard part yesterday. <clears throat> oh, epic. I think the hard part about solving this is that on the personal level, it's going to be very hard to make an impact when you have countries that are turning a blind eye. Mm-hmm. And that account for that's true. Yeah, you can't <laughs> you can only do so much, honestly. Yeah, that's yeah. And that's that's kind of what the the gist of this thing was was saying was uh was you know, even if in the best case scenario. Um, you know, we're going to increase the, the atmospheric temperatures by, you know, 1.5 to two degrees. Um, and the ramifications of that are, are pretty devastating. Um, but you know, it's, we can do things now and into the future to change. And the biggest aspect of this was, um, you know, carbon emissions from, from vehicles and the production of, you know, of, of industrial materials and things like that. And so, uh, transitioning those either power generation and power consumption to renewable and just straight electric is um, it, it helps immensely. 
uh, if, if we can find a way that. to power electric cleanly, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Making the full cycle of power generation to consumption uh, 100% renewable. It, it's yep. possible. The technology exists. Um, it's just you know, will uh, companies and people choose to do so? And it sounds like you know, um, I know there's a new infrastructure bill that was is being passed in the Senate either today or yesterday. Uh, they were, you know, That's going yesterday. through and yeah. it was yesterday. Yep. So uh, I think that got passed through, which is massive. That's only the first phase of this infrastructure bill. Um, but those types of things, those that encourage, you know, major corporations, at least domestically, um, to, you know, be encouraged to transition because um, really there is no other future otherwise. Um, and, and it's really actually, it's really awesome to see that these, these things are actually happening. Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's necessary. I, I'm hoping for safe nuclear. Safe nuclear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in what I've studied, it seems like we're at a point now where we could probably handle safe nuclear, but there's just such a stigma from Fukushima mm -hmm. and through my Island. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's hard to overcome public perception when those things have happened. Yeah. But all right, let's get back to foiling. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we could go down that rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned there uh, safety and foiling. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How do you make foiling safer? And now I will save say, and, and Dave Kalam and I talked about this on our last show together. It's not as dangerous as either of us thought it was going to be. Now, I knock on wood mm -hmm. as I say that. Um, I've been hurt a few times, but right. Yeah, exactly. So if you, you want to get to a place where you don't have to knock on wood to say that. <laughs> so that's all I'm saying. <laughs> what does that place look like? How do we yeah. get, um, that's a great question. You know, I recently, uh, saw a company that makes these really interesting foils where the, the front wing tips connect to the rear stabilizer on the side. I don't know if you've seen yep. that. I've seen that. Yeah. So that's like, I saw that. I was like, that's brilliant. Like you need something that like is a stepping stone to a more advanced foil right now. you're like all or nothing. Yeah. Um, so something where anyone can go out, hop on it, not have to worry about like getting impaled or anything. Um, that's one solution um, that I, I thought was really interesting. You know, almost like you think of like the catch surf or, you know, the, the super soft foamy mm -hmm. performance boards that they have now, yep. like something like that, but for foil surfing, um, would be pretty cool to see. So an integration of like, you know, uh, less advanced materials, um, safer wing design and lower cost. That's, uh, that would make foiling way more accessible. It would, but how do you shim that tail? How do you shim the tail? Yeah, <laughs> not joking, bro. Um, <laughs> so let's let's dive in to your recent series of posts on SpaceX. Oh yeah, <laughs> and how that has caught your, you know, um, fascination and mm -hmm. and you know parallels between that industry and what we're seeing right now in foil evolution. I think that we can spend some time there. Yeah, I mean, uh, where to start? Um, I mean, Maybe give an overview of some of the exciting things that have happened in the last few months because it's yeah, been so, exciting. Yeah, as an overview, I guess for people that don't even—that's what I, when I was posting these, I posted like one image of 
that was like, you know, from one of Elon Musk's tweets that was <clears throat> like, you know, the, the, the Starship heavy booster being lifted and you can see all of 29 like Raptor engines underneath. And it's just like, it looks like something out of like a science fiction film. And you just like hoisting it up there and with these like massive, like it's, they have like the second tallest crane in the world out there. And he's just hoisting it up and you can see it. And people are like, where is that? Are you there? Like they thought it was my picture. They thought I was at Cape Canaveral. I was like, nope, nope. Um, they're like, what? That I was surprised at how many people, even my like, on my personal Instagram page of my close friends that didn't even know what this was. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, well, let me go through and like, kind of go over what all this is to you guys. Cause this is important. This is like, um, we're talking about like the future of hum humanity, spacefaring civilization kind of shit. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So what they're doing out there is building, uh, what, what they call a starship. Um, it's going to be essentially, the 747 of, of outer space. So just think of like a massive cargo hauling aircraft, but with, you know, able to go to orbit to, to, the, to the moon, to Mars and beyond. Um, and yeah, they're, uh, they're with the whole goal of making life multiplanetary. So I don't know what it is, but <laughs> this guy, Elon Musk, uh, he, he has a, a, a history of success in terms of setting lofty goals and, and achieving them. Uh, the first one being accelerating the, you know, with Tesla, accelerating the adoption of electric vehicles. He didn't want Tesla to be successful. All, nearly all of the patents for Tesla are open and any company can, can tap into them and use their technology. There's nothing unique that Tesla has that others can't do. The goal of Tesla wasn't to be, you know, uh, the next Apple of cars. It, it was to accelerate the, the adoption of electric vehicles or the sustainable use of electricity uh, in transportation. Um, I think they achieved that, considering that there's like a multi-trillion dollar bill being passed in, uh, right now that like we were just talking about that is going to facilitate these companies, other, other companies, major, you know, car manufacturers to uh, encourage them to go electric. So there he, he won. That was, that was the goal of the whole thing. His next goal is to make life multiplanetary. Um, so, you know, I, and from the looks of things, he's on the right track. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so many places to go from here. The yeah. <laughs> yep. It is, it is incredible. And it's interesting to see how he is. I follow a lot of Tesla shorts. I follow a lot of everybody on Twitter, but it's interesting mm -hmm. to see how Tesla shorts take what he's doing. And I feel like they miss the point because what you said is the point there, how it's about making a societal change in perception. Mm -hmm. And you've seen, you know, like the Ford F-150 is probably going to be the, the new electric Ford F-150 and five years will be the best-selling truck. Yep. It looks like, and that's not a Tesla product, but it, without Tesla, that doesn't happen. Exactly. Or at least not as quickly. Right. Right. Which is what we're, which is what the main thing is. It's, it's about how quick we can transition because right. no matter what the temperature of the earth's going up, it's just how much, and that's dependent on how fast we can transition. Right. I think we need to pray for a solar minimum, like a long, solar minimum yeah, which people true. think is happening and maybe it'll that would be uh that would be timely <laughs> um 
If that, ha- I mean, <laughs> I don't know how frequently that happens, but I imagine it's not very, as far as, you know, are we talking about like, you know, um, celestial timescales here? Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would be, that would be serendipitous. And it would work out in our favor. Oh yeah. Um, let me ask this. Whenever I think about space travel, I, I think about the Apollo program a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And it is, and I've watched every documentary on all sides of every issue of, of going to the moon. And the one question, I think that we did go to the moon. I'm going to say that. Okay. But it's an enigma in that, what is something else that we did in the 60s that we don't do incredibly easily right now? It's the one thing that gets me thinking about that whole program. Because you think that if we could do it in the 60s, at this point, it would be routine. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, for sure. You think we went? Uh, what, to space? To no, the to the moon. I mean, obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, else, what else have we done technologically that we haven't been able to replicate in the last 50 years? Is there anything else? I couldn't think of anything. That's a good question. You know, um, I know it wasn't the 60s, but maybe slightly after that, but I'm thinking of supersonic flight. You know, how right. that kind of just like died. Right. Um, Concord. Concord. And I mean, I know we still have supersonic sight, flight, though. We do still have it, but not commercially. Right. But they are bringing that back, which is cool, too. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. Otherwise, I can't think of anything. It's the one thing that gives me pause and question about the Apollo program. Mm-hmm. Just seems like it would be it would be routine at this point. Mm-hmm. We did it then. Yeah, well, there was just like you know the it took so much effort and so much money for right. otherwise just like literally planting a flag. It was it was the culmination of the Cold War, and it was kind of like you know hey, you, it's like we crossed the finish line. That was it. That was the goal. Like we got to the moon. Like that was like the feat. Like, hey, look how strong our, our industry is. Like that, I had the thought the other day when I was actually watching uh, Saving Private Ryan where like I was thinking, you know, the, the World War II movie um, that like in that time period in like, you know, the early 1900s, 1930s, you know, World War One, World War II, the, the might of like what is a government it's it's massive ability to coordinate resources and people and 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 money and and just human effort and so what is the the pinnacle of doing that and the the most complex coordinating effort you could possibly imagine it would be war Mm -hmm. so what 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 would come after war there would be like the technological version of that which would be what requires massive coordination, technology, manpower, going to outer space and the moon. So if you think about it, it's kind of like we're we're like almost beyond war now. And and that's what the Apollo mission was. It was like kind of it was the Cold War version of war. We're like we literally put ourselves onto missiles <laughs> and right. like sent ourselves to this place to prove that we had the technological and and almost military prowess to be able to do something as complex as that in a time period when computers barely existed. Yeah. And that's, that's the amazing part about the whole program. Mm -hmm. Um, So now, now with that, with you saying that it's like, okay, yeah, now that, that just stopped. And it's like, okay, we did the thing. Good job. 
But now it's coming out that like, all right, we have the technology. We, we're well beyond the technology that we need to do these things um, to the point that it like, you know, corporate, like, you know, it only requires a multi-billion dollar corporation, not trillion dollar governments to do these, uh, do these, do space, execute space travel. So um, people are taking it in their own hands and seeing it as a, a way to, you know, make money or in the case of Elon Musk to make life multiplanetary. Yeah. Um, and that really is the most important thing of all. Um, Cause you know, tomorrow we can just literally everything could be for naught because an asteroid just comes and destroys us. Like that's it. This life, life is ex- extinguished. Um, and there would be nothing we could do about it. Um, making life multiplanetary is, is, you know, if, if we're trying to preserve life on earth, the first thing to do would be to, you know, make sure that we don't destroy the planet. Then once we seal the deal of not being able to destroy, like ensuring that we're not going to destroy the planet, uh, the next phase would be to make sure that if the planet is destroyed outside of our control, that we still survive. And it's crazy that it took this one guy like to have these thoughts and actually do these things. Like, I, I don't even know, like that just seems like just weird, like, like simulation type weird <laughs> that it's like you think it would be like broken down over like generations and like or something but it's like oh no this one guy just had this thought but i just think it's like you know again serendipity of of you know time and place and, and technology i think we're really fortunate to exist in this time where you know we've we've we live in a, a place where you know going back to war like you know i i don't want to like you know say that we're beyond war but i kind of feel like traditional war as we know it is over um it's either going to be you know robots and drones and and guided missiles fighting each other or it's going to be uh just nuclear holocaust and everything's over it's never going to be like d-day again Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think so i think we're in a special place where you know people are becoming um more educated um technology has reached a point where so many things are possible and communication is instant anywhere on the earth. Like all of these things just are, are leading towards, you know, um, just, I, I, I'm an optimist, you know, like uh, I, I'm just seeing everything leading towards, uh, uh, like we're finally going to become, I think it's Michio Kaku or somebody like where he, te- he levels up, like categorizes different, you know, alien civilizations and where we rank in that. Like we're not even level zero yet, but I think we're like getting close to level zero. So I want to, I don't want to go too far down. This would be a really fun conversation to have, but I don't, <laughs> so I don't want to go so too far away from, <laughs> I, yeah, I want to bring it back a little bit to, to what the show is normally about, which is feeling yeah. flow and learning. Yeah. And this conversation, I can tell that you're an incredibly smart person who thinks a whole lot. And one of my favorite things about being in the ocean, especially about foiling, is that those states can turn that off for me. And I get to exist in a place that is very calm and tapped in to the actual here and now, which is harder to do when you're outside and you're thinking all the time. How do you relate to flow states in your sports? Um, and does that term mean anything to you? Yeah. Um you know, it's a, it's a form of, for me, it's like a, a form of meditation. Um, 
And it's, you know, I also meditate. So focusing on breath and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sounds in your mind, you know, your internal dialogue and, and listening to that and then like quieting it. Um, when you, when you do, when I go out in the ocean and do those things, um, it, it is just, it's, it's heightened even further. Um, and foiling, especially there's something very unique and, and also addicting about foiling because of that mm-hmm. foiling requires so much focus and like so much connection to your immediate surroundings that it, your everything else just evaporates. Um, at least for me. Um, yeah. And that's where that flow state comes in. It's, it's almost like a, it's a form of improvisation where you're improvising or I don't like almost like dancing with the surface of the ocean. Um, and you know, surfing is a part of in traditional surfing. There's a part of that for sure. Um, where, you know, you improvise along the wave and you see and kind of predict what the wave's going to do. And, and it's, it's different. Every single, anyone that surfs knows that every single wave is different. Um, and with foil surfing, that's just, that's like taking it to, it, it takes it to a whole other level because of the energy that you're able to tap into. Um, it's almost like the difference between, I see foil surfing, like looking at the surface of an ocean when you're foil surfing is like looking at a fractal. It's like, there's so many different like bumps and, and ways that you could possibly navigate that it's just, it's just endless and finding that and going and just carrying along. That is, is yeah, that's where I find my flow state. And you couldn't have said that better. That, that is one of my favorite things about the sport is I look at it like a puzzle. Yeah. And exactly. And I look at the ocean like a heat map of energy now yes. of individual waves. Yep. And so it's about dancing between those pieces of energy. Um, yeah, that's unreal. How, how do you now with kiting, foiling, winging, where's your heart drawn? Do you, do you still kite as much as you did? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, actually pretty excited here we have the that tropical storm coming so yeah buddy i'm curious (laughs) wow it's been a dry dry month for sure or last month was just that was crazy got a lot of work done though but uh, (laughs) yeah this this weekend is going to be amazing and uh that's the thing you know i'm like i don't even i i do it by the day but you know or you know i judge what i'm going to do by the conditions of the day uh but i've been tending towards winging um, just because it's new. It's novel. Um, I like the physicality of it. Uh, it's definitely more difficult mm-hmm. and it feels like more of an exercise in that regard than kiting. So I like it for that. Um, but I kite surfing, that's, that's always going to be my favorite without a doubt. It's your favorite. Why? Yeah. Because it combines, you can, it can, there's so much freedom. It combines what I was saying with the flow state of surfing and, you know, the, the power of sailing. Um, I, I know you can get both of that in winging, but I don't know. In my opinion, it's just, 
kite surfing is there's just so much free you're yeah you just feel like a free entity and that your kite is the way it's far away and you just have a little control bar it just feels like you have a superpower you're like a superpowered surfer whereas with winging you're you're so connected and close to your wing that you're kind of like it kind of it obstructs your your visibility a little bit mm-hmm. um yeah i just yeah kite surfing is is definitely like I, yeah that's the one <laughs> that's my go-to i mean that's my go-to necessarily but that's my favorite of all time like there's and and even being well-versed and get, getting in the winging there's just something about like the ability to escape and the freedom of your vision and the and the flow state that it allows um and and yeah it is and and it's reliable for me like um with wing, winging is like i said it's very difficult and strenuous whereas kiting is like leisurely um and it's it's yeah that's, you, that's where it's at do you feel more free kiting or doing like a foil downwinder no no wing right just, just doing a prone down. board just yeah. flying because that's where i feel most free yeah no, I'm, not, I'm not a good kiter i'm a bad terrible kiter so. no i agree that's that probably has the cake between the two for sure um okay. that's uh yeah you almost channel like your your inner albatross or like you're, you're like just like a you're a seabird that's just literally just levitating above above the ocean just finding the best route the, the path of least resistance and um yeah so exactly that's that, that's one of the reasons i didn't i started prone foils downwinding before i learned to wing and i was like i don't need a wing like the wing is just adding equipment like the point the reason i got into foil surfing was because i can do and travel and surf so far without any extra equipment i just love the minimalism of it that I was very opposed to winging, but I finally came around. I was like, no, I'm never going to come do wing, but I finally tried it. And I was like, wow, winging is awesome. Um, because it does allow you to like go upwind. Um, it gives you a, a source of power and you can still surf very easily, um, by, you know, just dumping the power of the wing and having it behind you. Um, but yeah, there's something just so pure about just having just a board and a, with a foil and being able to travel like immense distances. Yeah. I think that's why I haven't been able to fully dive into winging is that, I mean, I know it's just a wing, but it feels like a lot of gear to me. I love that naked feeling of, of flight. And even if it's a, I mean, getting shorter runs and generally up here, when we get wing days, there's also shore runner days. There's also other things on option Mm -hmm. in the, in the ocean. If you're not, um, the pond or whatever. Yep. Yeah. You, you mentioned travel there and in reading through your posts over the last you know year and a half, early pandemic, when we were in lockdown, you mentioned, and, and the oceans were closed here in all of Florida. You couldn't go in the ocean. You mentioned you, you know, this time to hit the, hit the button on the exit strategy. Where yeah, would your yeah. exit strategy take you? What's that ideal place? What does that look like? Probably, um, somewhere in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, Puerto Rico. I love Brazil. Brazil, like Northern Brazil is awesome. 
but you know, in, in regard to, you know, like, God forbid, like governmental collapse or, or some type of like, you know, weird thing going on in, in your, you know, in the United States. Um, it, I, I can't imagine that these, these places also would be unaffected. So it would may have to be further away than that still. Um, and there's still a lot, there's a lot of places I, I hadn't been, but I would, I would want to explore. Um, Bali would be on that list. Um, that I have been, um, and would make a, a good exit, but ideally, you know, you keep it, keep it close. Yeah. Yeah. Under how, well, how has foiling changed? And I know this is, has happened to me hugely. It's, it's changed where my mind wanders for travel. And I know that we haven't been able to travel much over the last year and a half, but through the foiling journey, have your ideal destinations changed or do you look at travel differently? I don't have that desire to travel nearly as much, one-tenth as much as I used to as a surfer. Yeah, yeah. no, it's for, for surfing. Yeah, the need to travel is, is much less uh, encouraged by you know, needing to have waves. Um, but yeah, no, to answer your question, it, it totally has, you know, more in the sense that like, am I going to be able to like on this trip, am I going to be able to bring my foil gear or not? <laughs> you know, like, am I going to have room to, like, or be able to justify like bring like my foil assembly? Um, so that's definitely a thing. And, and yeah, like for instance, um, um, I'm going on my honeymoon in October to uh, Mexico and I'm like, okay, so where are the foil waves at? You know, that's my first question. Cause you know, like if you're going to travel to some Pacific destination, it's going to have, there's going to be good surf, but like, is it going to be foilable? And, and do I bring my foil gear? Um, that's, that's the question, you know? Uh, and then also really, I mean, yeah, when I went to Bali two years ago, I wish I would have had my foil gear as well. And I didn't bring it because uh, it was so far away and it was would have been expensive and we bought boards there and sold them there. Um, but in hindsight, yeah, I definitely was, I definitely was mind surfing uh, foilable waves. <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive back in to space flight a little bit. And we, we you know, we, we traded some emails and you sent over some notes. Mm -hmm them right now and one of the things that you mention is you know i guess you can look at a as a, a foil board as a hoverboard and the idea of these things becoming routine we touched on that a little bit earlier but what does it look like in in 20 years you know both in foiling and in in space flight mm -hmm. you know well, start with foiling i guess sure. um what does that look like? I see more people doing it. Um, for sure. I see, you know, the cost of everything coming down. Um, and yeah, you know, I also wonder if winging, if, if that would inherently make winging more accessible too, if like, you know, it became easier and safer for people to foil, then would people just grab a wing because a wing, it's just like you just add a backpack to your foil kit and then you can like sail. Mm -hmm. So I'm 
I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that. Um, kiting just has like all my friends that I try I try to convince to go kiting. They're they're opposed. Their initial opposition is the gear and the setup and breakdown. It's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm like you. Got, there's it's fine. It's so worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. So no, there you go. So there, there's definitely a, a stigma <laughs> against that. So with that being said. I think that winging might bridge that gap to sailing where it's so simple. All you do is have a backpack and a pump and you just pump up this little hand wing and you'll be good to go. Like, I think that'll, I think we'll be seeing a lot more of that. Um, And that's going to be really cool. Um, So going into what will rocketry and space travel look like? Um, I mean, people that don't follow this are probably going to think I'm crazy, but it's going to look like what commercial airline travel looks like today. Um, We're going to be, there's rocket launches are going to be as routine as planes taking off. Um, The, these rockets that are being developed now are intended to be fully reusable and refuelable and refliable within hours. They can have the same capacity as, as the largest aircraft. And you could travel from New York to Hong Kong in 30 minutes. Um, initially, these, these flights will obviously be for cargo or precious you know, military cargo or things like that. Um, but just like with any new technology, it gets slowly uh, disseminated to different price brackets and, and, and people. Um, it, it'll become business, people that need to travel back and forth to these locations for business. And then eventually, once this infrastructure is fully built out, it'll be more accessible to even, even people uh, that would do it for less serious matters. Um, and so, yeah, that seems crazy to say, but I think, uh, I think we're, we're going to see in our lifetimes, the dawn of the, the, the dawn of commercial human spaceflight and not in the way that like Richard Branson, you go up and you're like flying in like, you know, uh, not even low earth orbit. You're like, you know, edge of the stratosphere. Um, and you know, you have this insane, you have the parabolic flight effect, like this, this the, a perception of weightlessness, but it's actually the ship just flying upward and you were like flying with it. And it's just, and the sky's black. Um, and then you come down where you came, where you started. SpaceX and and what they're doing there is totally different than this. This is they're doing real, like real space flight. Um, they're going, they're they're planning on being able to do, uh, yeah, commercial travel to uh, different continents and 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 landing the rocket that you're in, and then reloading it, refueling it. And then taking off and going back just like an airline. And so you'd be like, okay, so the first question that a lot of people have is like, okay, well, where do you land these things? Like, isn't that really loud? Like, isn't there smoke and it's dangerous and all this stuff? And and what is the abort system? So the the whole concept is, you know, what where do you land these things? They're you're they're gonna be floating platforms off the coasts of major cities, much like uh, oil rigs. 
and they'll be retrofitted. You take a ferry out to it and you get on this, this platform and it's just, just as nice as any airplane terminal. And, and you get in and as far as abort, there's, there is no abort, just like there's no abort system for an in-flight airplane accident. You just, you, they've just flown thousands and thousands of times. You just know the odds are more likely that you die in the ferry on the way to the, on, or in your car on the way to the, the ferry terminal. Um, so yeah, I think maybe we won't be able to participate in these, these systems in our lifetime, but we'll see them implemented and the, the future, that future will be very clear when we're like, I don't know, when I'm like 60, 65 years old. You know, it's interesting there. I'm, I'm thinking about how technology is going to evolve over the next 30 to 50 years. And you're going to have dual inflection points going in opposite directions of the ability to travel, which SpaceX, the tech that you're talking about is, is going to um, facilitate, along with the declining need to travel because of tech computers, connectivity, um, and Mm-hmm. Which space is also to where we, to uh, where Starlink, we thing. Starlink uh, constellation. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see, like where we land. Will people actually take the risk when they can strap on some, you mm-hmm. know, goggles and and be anywhere they want in the world? Mm-hmm. That's true. It's a good point. You know, what's the uh, the book I'm, I'm spacing out of, they made a movie out of it. Um, ready they, player one. Yeah. Ready player one. Yep. yep. You know, I actually haven't seen the movie or read the book, but I know about it. I know the concept. Yep. Um, the concept of a metaverse. Yep. And, uh, that's actually, I, that's another thing we'll see in our lifetime for sure as well is Facebook is actively developing a metaverse. And they say that that they just released a statement two weeks ago saying that, they're going to be their platform is going to be fully vr ar like that's their end goal is to you know google is to search as facebook is going to be to the metaverse and metaverse being a digital landscape where people meet and interact in uh in the virtual reality yep and you know what i love is that mark foils so there's definitely going to be foiling in the metaverse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the first sport. <laughs> yeah. Mark foil surfing. Dude, that's that was good. That was good publicity for foiling for sure. He's pretty good. Yeah, I was like, okay, he's downwinding. I dig it. Yep. Yep. Sick. Um, anyone who transitions from e-foil to foil, I'm a fan of. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the e-foil is a great learning tool. For sure. It really is. That will also expand people's awareness to foiling. And, and uh, I think it's just a natural transition to, you know, go from an, a powered sport to, um, you know, a self-powered sport being like just paddling or something. And it's, it's so much more simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually think that's the future of foiling. <laughs> I, I think that you are going to have very light e-foils that only have micro bursts of power mm. and props that can retract up into the board, mm-hmm. something like this, mm-hmm. to where you can do open ocean downwind safely on small equipment and pop right back up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And especially when battery technology improves too. Yep. Yeah. 
tiny oh, little nuclear yeah, reactor. That. That's that's pretty sweet. I wonder what that would. I wonder. I wonder if you could build something into the fuselage, like a small turbine. And I'm not really good on like you know motorized fluid dynamics, where it's like, okay, what size? What's the minimum size prop that you could have to have enough? you know, force to lift a person on a foil, you know, like I'm sure there's some, you know, the, the diameter of the prop has to be a certain size or, you know, right. To, to the, the force to weight ratio there. There um, has to be, cause you get cavitation at higher speeds. You have to have yeah, a certain exactly. amount of surface so area. Has to be a, the blades have to be a certain size. So I wonder if it'd be possible to have it be like fuselage size. So it would be like, like almost like a, uh, a, a jet turbine in the fuselage. Yeah. And then you would just close it off. Like it have little vents that would close when you're on foil. I think that it could be at the upper end of the mast. If you think about it with enough pop and enough speed, you I mean, you can do dock oh, starts, true. right? So yeah, you okay, have to have, cool. yeah, you hold down the nose, you get an eight mile an hour burst of, you know, maybe, maybe you have a little battery pack that has eight bursts. Yep. And then, it's you know everything's contained at the very top of of the mast. Yeah, you get that speed right when you want it. Boom, you pop. You'd have to still be good. That but, would be that actually would probably be the better way to go about it. You're right yeah, because then, you know, once you're on foil, because then the weight is more centralized too. You wouldn't have like you know a pendulum effect of the weight of the motor at the bottom and all the, right. the mechanics running through it. If it's all just like battery and then a little motor right next to the board, like like you said, you get going on and then you get on plane and you can just pop and pump. Yeah. It actually retracts, so it extends down to the outside of the mast. See, that's so now. I think you know, pops up into the board as soon as you're up. Mechanics like that just adds weight. I don't think because if you're on foil, I don't think you would need the motor to retract into the board or into the strut or something. It would just like, yeah, it would, you would just need to just it could just be out because you're flying on foil. I think this, you would want it as light as humanly possible. You want to start a company, Justin? Let's do it. What do you want? <laughs> I like. I don't know. I like it though. Yeah, yeah that's Whatever. what I'm saying. So the you know the here we are, just like you know, you know, shooting the shit, and we're you know coming up with innovative like pos foil possible future technologies. Like you know, I'm sure there's people that are like actually in the industry that are developing foils that are having these same conversations you know, that are like, you know, they're predisposed to execute these things. Yep. Um, and so that's, it'll be, it's an exciting future. You know, I, I wonder what you could do right now with that tech. <laughs> Think about how simple everything would be. It would just be a yes, no on off. How right now the lift is about an hour battery, right? Like you would only need probably four minutes of battery power total. Yeah. And you would just need microbursts to get up. Yeah. It'd be like, I don't know, think of like, you'd need like four laptop batteries. How heavy could that be? Like a couple pounds? Maybe. Yeah. You place that weight directly over top of the foil so it doesn't mm -hmm. affect swing weight of the board. Mm -hmm. I like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. Um, so we're hitting the hour mark right now. We got, I don't know, a little bit time left. What do you want to dive into? Oh, I don't know. Let's see. What did I have in my notes here? Um, what does the pinnacle of foil surfing look like? I mean, I think that was it. <laughs> well, that's the pinnacle you know, like, of te yeah. that's the that's the pinnacle of of the technology of yeah. foil. What does the pinnacle of 
um, technique maneuver. Technique, yeah. I would say, you know, the pinnacle of, of foiling would be, and foil technology would be, you know, some blend of, you know, unmotorized, we're talking about unmotorized here, yep. um, you know, a wing design and, you know, you know, uh, a wing design, strut design, everything that would allow someone to pump indefinitely without reaching exhaustion, like some, some way to like, I don't know. I had the idea, like, what if you were to like, think of like a skate, a skateboard, like a longboard and how you can like pump a skateboard, like by carving. Yep. Uh, and it's relatively effortless. Like, I wonder if there's a way to incorporate like bushings into like the wing assembly, the wing fuselage <laughs> point where like it, it kind of like gives like a feedback or something, you know, like, I don't know what that would look like, but um, something like that, that would allow you to, you know, it, it's less rigid and less based on your just pure force and more about some like interesting mechanical advantage that you can introduce into the system. That, where, that's... Yeah. Where you could pump indefinitely without much effort. That's super interesting. Early on in the foil days, this has got to be a two years ago. One of the ideas that I had was creating something like that where you could swim the front wing through the water. You had a bigger back wing and you had two wings and a, and a front wing that would carve just like a carver. Mm-hmm. So you're creating that drive from the front by carving back and forth. That's pulling the bigger back wing, keeping mm-hmm. you lifted yeah. uh, through the water. Yep. Yeah, something like that I think would be would be pretty pinnacle where you could just, you know, yeah, you could you could dock start or or just chip shot and just just cruise around and just be glide, you know, the glide ratio would be insane. Um and then also just little effortless pumps and you just travel around. Yep. Have you ridden the Lift 120? No. I would highly suggest hopping on that at some point if you get the opportunity. Yeah, that's okay. the only foil to me that feels like magic. Really? You look at it and it just... you. I mean, I looked at it, I laughed. I was like, well, my son who's 12 and 80 pounds is going to love this foil. Mm-hmm. And then you take it out and it just blows your mind how fast you can go. And it's not effortless for me at 185 pounds in right. any way, but the speeds and once you are in energy... Mm-hmm. By far, I can ride the smallest amount of energy on that foil. That's insane. That's so small too of a wing. <laughs> so because there's no drag. Yeah, true. So so as long you have to be at a certain level to be able to keep your energy. Like we were talking about like the heat map uh-huh. of, of energy and like being able to bounce from energy to energy. But yeah. if you're good at doing that, it's it's insane. Like yesterday was maybe a foot here, and mm-hmm. I pumped a couple hundred meters probably 200 meters out the back connected into like a little swell and carved blocks, just carving on no energy at all. Didn't have to pump. I got to the beach laughing. Yeah. That's so cool. So unreal. Yeah. uh, I've, I've been riding the, I ride Delta stuff, Delta hydrofoils. Okay. Tell me about them. I don't know much about them. Yeah. So, uh, it's a friend of mine, George, He's out of Rhode Island. He designs and, and makes them in in uh, Rhode Island. He's, um makes really high performance uh, surf and wing foil foils. And um, I, I love. I've been following his progression for a while. I've worked with him. I do his photo video content from time to time, and I built his website. Um, and yeah, we've just been in uh, conversation. You know, I've kind of helped iterate some designs with him. He just takes some of my feedback. 
Um, I'm notorious for breaking equipment, so he definitely appreciates that. Uh, hmm. I find the weaknesses in, in the engineering, and uh, we've we've uh, worked together and and kind of helped him build like a very strong, efficient foil. Um, right now, he ha- I've been riding his uh, 1450 high aspect. Okay, so it's a huge front wing, but it's it's really amazing. It glides. It's really fast. And like, like you were saying with the 120, once you tap into that speed, like you, once you like hit this glide, this, 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 you know, the, that parabolic arc, like, you know, if you imagine the foil traveling through the water, that line that you're making, um, once you, you reach that right cadence, you, you, this thing just goes and you're, it's fast. It's really fast. Um, and I can ride if it's not too shallow. I can literally ride nothing like, <laughs> like just like the weakest winds, wind chop, like knee high wind chop. You can imagine I'm like getting lift off of it. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. And so I like to use that wing for, um, uh, for wing foiling as well. I ride the, the lift four, four, 44 liter. It's like a super small wing board. Okay. Um, and I have a five meter wing and I'm able to, I'm able to get up with that 1450 in, in like, uh, like 17 knots, which is pretty awesome. Um, and I yeah, don't the, see the 14, what'd you call it? A 1450, 1440 on. Yep. I don't see it on the website. Is it on here? Is it new? Let me see. Yeah. Maybe it's not on the website yet. It looks it's like they have a pretty forward there. set point. I'm looking at all the pictures. Good website, by the way. Oh yeah. Thanks. I made that thing years ago. Did you? Yeah. But thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, all the photos, video stuff, thehydrofoil.com. Yeah, it might not be on here, honestly. Uh, it, it, does he do all aluminum masts, or does he have carbon masts now too? Oh, I have aluminum. Oh yeah, it's not on here. Dang. Um, I'll have to get on him for to call the webmaster. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh. The aluminum mass is good. I, I would rather have carbon, honestly. There's, you know, there's a, it's, it's a trade-off. The stiffness yep. is amazing. I, I, I appreciate this, the rigidity of the, of the aluminum. I think that's more important in wind, in wind sports. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I really want to try, you know, I've been drawn to, now that the lift has, uh, lift foils has done, uh, their new high aspect line that looks really good too. And, um, I want to try it. I've been meaning to try it. I, I normally tend to the bigger wings um, just because our conditions around here, normally when I'm foiling are, are pretty small. So, and it's like windswell and I like to get out on the water as, as often as I can. Um, so yeah, having a bigger wing just gets me in the water more and I can just have fun and glide and downwind um, in pretty much nothing. Yep. But the lift, the lift foils I've been meaning to try and, and uh, I don't know if you know Damien Leroy. He's he's a local here as well, yep. and he has all the lift stuff. So I should hit him up and be like, "Hey, Damien, let me get that 120." <laughs> yeah, you should. And and the 150 V2. Those are my two favorite lift foils, mm-hmm. and by a large margin. Once you get up into like the lift 200 V2, I think you get so much drag, it just loses all the magic. Okay, I, I didn't like that at all. I was like, "Oh man, these V2s aren't going to be that good." And then uh, sold my my. 200 and then 
someone was telling me how good the 150 was. Ah, like, oh, give it a shot. It was so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really good. I the the inability to be able to modify your tail though, at least shim it, is mm. a big setback. I know some people are making third party or aftermarket fuses so you can do oh, right. but that's true yeah i didn't think of that that's uh i that's on the delta i shim you can sh the, the the stabilizer is interchangeable so i have different stabilizers of course and then you can shim them which is right. cool um that's been fun to play with as well i just I like having that customizability you know like whenever possible um but you know i i like to make the analogy like when i'm explaining to people like what foil to get and they're for they're just getting into the into the um into foil surfing the sport i'm like okay so lift is the apple of foils like they have like the really nice premium gear but you're kind of like locked into their ecosystem you know like there's not much you can do outside of what they offer you so that's uh as opposed to something like delta or even armstrong like you can you can you can shim and mix and match and, and tweak things and yep and do uh make it more customizable yeah, I like folks who use the 30 millimeter tail sets too, so you can interchange tails and mm -hmm. that makes a big difference. Yeah, it's been cool. I haven't even tried, I don't know, have you tried the where, uh, the chop shop thing where you like chop the, the stabilizer really short? Yeah, I, I go pretty big into tail design and chopped a lot, I've made a lot of tails. Yeah. Um, I followed Kane DeWild, I don't know if you know who he is, but he makes incredible tails. If yeah, if you don't follow follow Kane, it's uh, KD Maui is his Instagram handle, and he's been on the show a few times and just makes some incredible. His his new one is amazing. Uh, the Slim Thirteen is my favorite. I chopped it to twelve just because I wanted to loosen it up just a little bit, but mm -hmm. it's uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, go big into that. Yeah, you can see I haven't tried it myself, but you can see there's the um the Delta on the website, the store, the mono wing. Have you ever tried a mono wing? No, I haven't. I haven't either, but apparently it actually it, it goes. <laughs> I've seen, you know, Nathan Van Buren, I've seen him testing the signature gear as mono wings, and that would be a really interesting feel. You wouldn't have anything to push on. I know. I feel like I wouldn't like it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm definitely up to try it. I'd like to see some video of that. Yeah, I think it's just really loose and easy to pump. Like there's less pumping resistance. Is it easier to pump? It seems to me like you need the tail to pump. Like as I shorten the few like maybe like uh there's no that that leverage isn't even there. So it's just like I don't know. Yeah, there's no easier to pump because there's nothing pushing back maybe but longer fuses let you pump easier yeah huh. so i i gotta feel one or maybe yeah. i just go out and throw on a, a big wing without a tail and see what happens that would be crazy just don't fall on that shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah even hurt playing it? more dangerous <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably how you make it safer is by figuring out how to make it more dangerous first yeah hey yeah um well this has been awesome justin i really appreciate the conversation yeah uh, well, uh, thanks for having me on i what what do you want to leave uh, folks with any word that? wisdom what do you want to leave folks with words of wisdom parting thoughts 
Hmm. I imagine that everyone here already foils. <laughs> you don't foil, go learn to foil. Because <laughs> it just it spread the word. It's it's uh it's the way to interact and, and be in the ocean. It's unlike anything else. Um and it's uh it's overall just good for humanity to interact with nature and be out in, in the ocean. Um, so yeah, I would say whether it's foiling, kiting or winging, just, just get out there and have fun. Love it. Justin, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks. This is the progression project podcast, deconstructing foiling flow and the learning process with your host, Eric Anthony.